Well, you may have come across the term quiet quitting recently. It has become quite the phenomenon. The phenomenon itself doesn't sound all that new, but the term certainly is. Uh, But what is it? Well, there's a video on the site TikTok, which now has nearly three and a half million views. That's kind of responsible for everyone suddenly talking about it using that specific term. And he put it like this. I recently learned about this term called quiet quitting, where you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. The reality is it's not, and your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. Believe it or not, more than three and a half million views of that one short 17-second TikTok video uh, about quiet quitting. And it's very basic. I mean, we used to call it sort of checking out, <laughs> to, be, to be frank. But, you know, the pandemic has changed a lot of people's attitudes towards exactly what a work-life balance looks like. Uh, so here we have a new term for something that's not a new idea, quiet quitting. And I thought, who better to talk about this with than Alexandra Samuel, who is a contributing writer for the Wall Street Journal, author of Remote Inc., uh, and an expert in all things remote in work and otherwise. And she uh, joins us now. Alexandra, thanks so much. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Ben. Did you have any clue what that sound was that I played off the top? Do you know what that is? I, I was thinking it might be the sound of an empty home office when everybody's finally <laughs> left the house, but I've never heard that sound because there are always other yeah. people around me. So what do it's I it's know? It's a, it's a, yeah, it sounded like the sound of my office when everyone cleared out back in March of 2020. Oh, there you that go. Was, so tell me, what do you think about this quiet quitting idea? I mean, it, it has a nice ring to it. So I gather right. people have been picking up on sort of the, uh, on the phonetics of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but tell me about the phenomenon and, and why all of a sudden people are talking <laughs> about it so much. Absolutely. I mean, it really is. To me, the real story here is, uh, first of all, the power of alliteration. You got to love the double Q. And, and also, frankly, the power of TikTok. Like, this is, as you say, like you just played the whole enchilada, right? It's not, there's not some deep, uh, massive talk this is embedded in. It's that 17 second clip. And here we all are, a million newspaper headlines have been launched. Um, So, you know, it's just to me mind blowing that the whole conversation is being driven by what is really, as you say, not a new thought. And and I'm interested in hearing how you characterize it because I think this really is, you know, it's a little bit of a Rorschach test. Everybody sees in this term their own anxieties and judgments about the way the workplace has changed. So a bunch of people have used, have, have ascribed to it this notion of restoring workplace balance, um, work-life balance, fighting back against, you know, pandemic burnout. Then you've got employers who are, you know, fretting over, well, is this a sign, you know, is this part of the great resignation and the unwillingness of workers to really extend themselves? And then you've got people who are saying, no, no, it's just pushback against hustle culture, but you can still really love your job. And then you've got like Ariana Huffington over on LinkedIn saying, oh, you know, rejecting, um, you know, overwork is like rejecting loving life. And, you know, everybody's got their own version of it. It's a 17 second video with some pictures. Which is remarkable. You're right. The fact is, the term itself is alluring enough that you can read about it into it just about anything you want, right? I mean, it sounds alluring in some way, the idea of sort of putting your feet up a little bit at work and maybe take it easy. But what I read as being sort of the original definition was this idea that, you know, no more overtime uh, unless you pay me for it. Uh, no more taking on extra tasks that aren't in my job description. So 
you know, make sure that when what you describe as my duties are correct with some flexibility, but don't expect too much. Um, you know, don't call me after hours. <laughs> don't email me at night. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really need to spend too much time at the office chatting. In other words, work is not my life, right? <laughs> that's the, uh, well, I guess that, but that's, sort of, I, that's was kind of my interpretation of it was, you know, just this yeah. idea of trying to set some boundaries around work, which of course, during the pandemic and remote work, those boundaries start to get very blurred, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, that's not my interpretation of it. Although I, I certainly agree that's how a lot of people have interpreted it. You know, to me, what it really speaks to is how the pandemic has both created and revealed some pretty core um, fractures and crises around our understanding of work. And really at the heart of that is um, the way we measure and assess performance. Um, you know, I, we are in this conversation about quiet quitting, equating the idea of going over and above um, or the idea of, you know, just checking the boxes with the number of hours you put in. But, you know, if there's one thing we should have learned during this period of time, it's that the number of hours you put in really has very little relationship to what you're actually contributing to the team. And some of the most valuable employees and freelancers are people who just absolutely give it their all and absolutely pour their heart into their work for four hours or five hours and deliver more value in that four or five hours than people who are not just punching the clock, but going beyond and answering that 9 p.m. email. And so to me, what this really speaks to is, you know, the flip side of um, a terrific article in the New York Times last weekend about, about the rise of automated performance management and measuring and our right. absolute inability to uh, understand output in any way other than keystrokes and hours at the keyboard. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that really came um, into evidence during the early days of remote work was that you suddenly realized that you could get a lot, of, you could be very efficient at different times of the day, that maybe you did great work between nine and 12 and seven and 10, right? Seven and 10 PM. Um, and maybe you didn't do such good work between noon and six. And maybe that was a good way of prioritizing. I, I guess what was interesting to me about the whole quiet quitting idea uh, was just sort of, you know, it, it had a bit of that take this job and 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 shove it kind mm -hmm. of uh, kind of mm -hmm. air to it but now we've seen the pushback right because of course mm -hmm. these days a tiktok video comes out millions of people talk about it and watch it and then <laughs> within 48 hours the pushback comes like it's a bad mm -hmm. idea it's a bad idea so on the flip side of this what is the downside of quiet quitting well i think it's it's any any framework uh, for talking about how we reorganize our work that's framed as quiet quitting is a is a lose lose. It's a lose for employees because it's a signal of kind of hostility and disengagement. If you think of um, doing your job as it's written as quiet quitting, you're probably not too happy at work, and it's a bad sign for employers because if employees are feeling like that it's it's not a great fit it's not a great vibe and and the rest of the team may feel a little abandoned so to me the story here is you know what's gone wrong in the way that we have managed this transition to hybrid work 
that we have people who are feeling that level of disengagement and that we have managers who feel like if you aren't working more than nine to five, you aren't doing your job somehow. Um, it really reveals dysfunctions on both sides of the equation. Yeah, I mean, I imagine for managers, especially these days with employees, not in all sectors, but a lot of employees, a lot of, you know, vacancies to fill and people mm-hmm. to make happy uh, and, and things to worry about when it comes to your employees' mental health, their physical health and so forth. I mean, managing these days is difficult. And if you're um, if you're left between what often happens is if, if you end up with a lot of quiet quitting going on, you know who does the work, the manager, right? That's what that's how it, it that's what happens, unfortunately. Perhaps. I mean, I think part of part of what I would say is going on is that people are realizing that there is a lot of waste, frankly, in the context of of a day, particularly, frankly, as a lot of organizations are managing it over Zoom. I mean, you know, I had a meeting not too long ago where a manager was telling me that every time she rolls out a policy, a new you know policy document to her team, she books a Zoom meeting and reads it to them because it's the only way she can trust that they'll actually absorb the new policy. And like, that's a crazy use of everybody's time. And so I think in some sense, what we're seeing here with with this idea of quiet quitting is, okay, if you're going to measure me by the numbers and by how many hours of the day I'm sitting at my keyboard, then all I'm giving you is me sitting at that keyboard. I'm not doing the go for a walk, think deeply about my work, come back with a bolt of inspiration. You didn't buy my inspiration. You bought my hands on the keyboard. Alexandra Samuel is with us this half hour. She's a contributing writer for the Wall Street Journal, author of Remote Inc., and an expert on remote work, amongst other things. We've been talking about the phenomenon of quiet quitting, something you may have read about uh, quite suddenly. It is everywhere. Uh, quite uh, quite suddenly after a TikTok video. It's so such a 2020, 20, 2022 story. After a TikTok video last week released, got millions of views and it spawned lots of headlines about it. And we're just talking about the ups and downs of it. Um, part of this, Alexander, must be to the anxiety of sort of as we head towards Labor Day and people are thinking about, you know, the office and fall and all those things. You think that, you know, quiet quitting has sort of fell right into that sweet spot in the summer where people are starting to, Think about, you know, what September is going to look like. Well, I mean, part of it also is that the pace of the return to the office is, you know, I think in Canada, we may be a little bit out of step with what's happened in the U.S. and and in the U.K. And it's been really interesting going to the U.S. again and and seeing, um, you know, what it's like in offices there. It's true that people aren't necessarily back in the office full time, but um, I, I definitely have felt much more of a return to the old world of work on the other side of the border. And so, you know, I think part of what we see with this pushback is just like, you know, you have everybody herded back to the office and then you have another wave of COVID and folks are asking themselves, you know, like, really, I'm risking this for, um, you know, a minimum wage job. Or, or, you know, conversely, as I say, like I do, I think the missed story of the week was this, you know, incredible, deeply reported piece from the New York Times on the, in, the really growing prevalence of worker monitoring and the number of companies who are now um, monitoring not just, you know, um, own um, customer service reps or, you know, yeah. warehouse workers, but white collar, you know, consultants, people, you know, 
professionals who thought that the whole virtue of their advanced degree meant that they would have professional autonomy and who are being told in jobs like palliative care and psychotherapy that they're being measured by time at the keyboard. And you know yeah. that I think speaks to the conditions that are leading people to push back on on the experience of work. Yeah, I'd, I'd read somewhere at one point that they that you know there was use of AI to to read people's yes. sort of messages to each other to find out whether they were you know good influences within the company or maybe they were prone to quitting like sort of you know really really sort of big brother kind of stuff yeah. and and no wonder no wonder workers are starting to feel a little you know, like wanting to hit the brakes a bit and say, wait a second, you know, you're gonna have to check with us on some of this stuff. You know, we don't, just because you pay me doesn't mean you own me, right? I mean, I think that's where the, the quiet quitting thing yeah. comes in. It's sort of well, that pushback. You know? But but also, I mean, part of what's interesting is that um, there there have been in, in some instances, a very explicit trade of uh, surveillance for freedom from the return to the office. Oh, you don't want to come back to the office full time, then you have to agree that we are able to monitor your online activity five days a week. And, yep. you know, that is a pretty, you know, and, and this really comes down to the fact that organizations are still set up for bricks and mortar management. They have not transitioned to a model of management that's appropriate to a remote or hybrid workforce. We're used to monitoring, we're used to looking over people's shoulders, making snap judgments about who's being productive because of what they're wearing and how they're sitting and how they talk to us. And in the absence of that, you know, eyes on hands-on management, companies are falling back on other strategies of kind of worker surveillance and control that are very uncomfortable for people who frankly have reevaluated the balance between work and personal you know, in the context of the pandemic. I guess we're still just figuring this all out, aren't we? We sure are. And, you know, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I think that's actually the most important thing for every organization, every manager, and, and also every employee to think about, which is, you know, <laughs> yes, it feels like this has been going on a while now, but if you think about the fact that, um the workplace of 2019 really was the product of about 150 years of, of you know, continuous innovation in, you know, from the dawn of the industrial revolution all the way up till COVID. We really were building, developing, and tinkering with this model of on-site work. And it's only been, you know, two and a half years of something else. We're not going to get it all figured out by December. We're just not. It's going to take three, four, 10 years, and then some, for us to, to start to arrive at a model of hybrid work that has some of the benefits we really appreciated about the in-person office, but also um, that reconciles with the reality and the lessons and the benefits we've tapped into over these past couple of years of, of more work from home. Alexandra Samuel, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.